Hi, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of uh, At Jerry Talks, the podcast. I'm delighted and honored, as usual, to have with me distinguished guests. Today, I have with me Vinod Brathri, who is um, the head of employment relations at Standard Bank. And I also have my partner, Desmond Odiambo, who is the head of litigation um, at CDH Kenya. Uh, it is a real honor to have Desmond here because he's chosen to be in the background for the large part of all of the podcasts that we've done so far. So I'm really happy to have him with me as well. Vinod, uh, it is delightful to meet you and we have had uh, good conversations on employment. So you're the perfect person to have this conversation with and thank you for joining us as well. Thank you, Njiri. Uh, it's a great honor to be part of this uh, conversation this afternoon. Uh, and thank you so much for the invitation. That's great. What I want to do is really focus on employment law for this podcast. And the reason it's important is because as we come out of COVID and and the pandemic, people are returning to work. And we need to know and we need to understand how it is that people are returning to work. What does the new landscape look like and what it means for uh, employees going forward and employees alike as well. Um, we normally start off with quick fire questions just to get to know our guests a bit. And so I'm going to start off with Vinod and I'm going to ask you, I looked at your CV and you were a criminal prosecutor before this. How did you get into employment law and, and in-house counseling in general? Pretty long story, but we'll cut it as short as possible. Uh, so after completing my degree in law, I, I started practicing private practice. And uh, I come from a very small town in uh, what is the province of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa, my little town being Newcastle. And mm -hmm. there wasn't much room in Newcastle to really specialize as a legal practitioner in any specific field of law. So you became a general practitioner dealing with every aspect of law under the sun. Uh, and, and most of your business was, you know, helping the community. Very small businesses, no big organizations that you could say, I'm going to uh, specialize in, in some kind of corporate offering to that uh, business sector. And criminal law just became a default uh, for me. It was something that I, I was very interested and very passionate about being able to litigate, being in court. Uh, for me, that was the real essence of being a lawyer. Those were the images I grew up with as a lawyer, for, for a lawyer. Uh, watching the American sitcoms of uh, LA Law and- All of us, and, yes, yes. That was the image of being a lawyer, being in court and, and, and fighting those cases. So I was just mm. naturally drawn to being uh, in, a, in a criminal court and litigating. So. Very early in my career, I, I was a defense attorney uh, in the criminal courts. And I was then made an offer uh, by a, a colleague of mine who was in the prosecution court at that time, uh, came up to me and said, listen, we, we need someone of your caliber on the other side. And would you like to, to join us? And, and so I joined the criminal prosecution court. Uh, and, and that was quite an experience. Uh, I spent about three years in, in prosecution and being in court was, you know, that dream of being a lawyer, being able to fight for the innocent man on the street and fighting for their rights. 
And yeah, that was very enjoyable. And I'm sure that has steered you in good stead to be able to distinguish between uh, employees and in difficult, tough situations, I'm sure. I, I know Desmond as well was interested in the same, the core of litigation and the reason why he became a prosecutor or, or a litigator is because of all of the influence that um, those kind of TV shows had on all of us. And just so that I can give you um, some insight, I was also... Um, steered towards litigation, being the talkative person that I am. Uh, but luckily, I chose corporate law. So. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Um, unfortunately. Desmond, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you come to be in litigation? Yes, um, i just like to echo Vinod. I think uh, litigation is a real practice of law. Uh, so I don't know what. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I don't know why, Jerry, you're wasting your time in uh, corporate commercial. <laughs> Very funny. Please, please join just, this other just side. Just before you go on, Desmond, if it's any interest. Yes, sure. You know, th- th- there was a time when I used to refer to corporate lawyers as, uh, with due respect to corporate lawyers, because I'm, I am one as well currently. I used to refer to them as, as Mickey Mouse uh, attorneys. Uh, <laughs> no disrespect. But, but, but like you said, there's been the, the real law is practiced in, in the court. <laughs> Very funny. I'm sure the audience will have a lot to say about that. Can we carry on, Desmond? Yes. So interestingly, actually, law was not my first choice. Um, I sort of got into law by, uh, by accident. Uh, my, my first choice after I finished high school was actually to be a priest. And wow. Wow. I, and I had even gone ahead and uh, applied to to join seminary school, uh, wow. but my parents would have none of it. You know. <laughs> uh, for understandable reasons, they were both professionals. So, uh, I mean, their desire was their son to be a professional like them. Um, so, my next best uh, career choice was was law, uh, just because you know I enjoyed resolving disputes and. In the various circles of influence I was, I was in, even at that time, uh, I was always the peacemaker. So, I think it was just, it was just natural for me to, to, to go into law, with the dream of being a judge one day. Uh, yeah. But having entered the profession, uh, I think I'm enjoying this space of, of litigation. That's very cool, Desmond. We wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that at all. Oh, but I think the opinion that people have of litigators is very aggressive and very, you know, boisterous, etc. But you're actually the opposite of that. Uh, and I think you bring that element of the, the essence and the core of litigation, which is dispute resolution, actually. So that's important um, to note. Desmond, for you, it's been two months since we joined up with CD8. What have you found to be the most striking changes in your practice? It's been exciting, very stimulating. Just being in a space where, you know, I'm able to interact with with colleagues from a different jurisdiction who are at the top of their game, you know, has been inspiring. I sit in in meetings, you know, um, teams meetings for, for example, for the employment practice uh, for, for for the whole firm, and just being able to to hear, for instance, the cases that they are dealing with in, in their jurisdiction now in South Africa, and comparing with what we are dealing with here has been very stimulating, um, absolutely exciting for me. Yeah, amazing. But not for you. I think you're a, you're an old hand at uh, being an in-house counsel. How did you actually come to Standard Bank, and what is it that you think you bring to Standard Bank's uh, in-house practice uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise without you? 
getting to Standard Bank was a great trip, and I'm always thankful for that invitation that Standard Bank recognized the, the value and the experience that I brought to the bank. And from my side, I mean, Standard Bank is the largest uh, African bank on the continent. And if you look at the footprint across the continent, Standard Bank operates in 20 countries across the continent in fast and, and diverse markets. And, and that was the pull for me in joining Standard Bank to be exposed uh, and to having to experience the entire continent, the different cultures, the people. Through my career, you know, at some point uh, as a lawyer, you when you first start off, and, and Desmond and Jerry, you, you probably will reflect on that as well, there's a strong sense of you applying the law as a young attorney. Yeah. And and slowly that that actually shifts to being very more people-centric, that the law plays a small part in how you practice as a lawyer. The, the people passion then really comes out in you. And and that for me was a big part of, of joining Standard Bank and becoming a corporate attorney as well is the the chance to interact with people in an environment that is, for a want of a better word, so intimate uh, that it affects everybody's lives. People also ask me that, you know, have, by, by becoming a corporate lawyer, did you not forego the essence of being a lawyer? And for me, that the, the answer ha, is no. That, 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 the answer can only be no. <laughs> no, yeah. Because, I mean, both of you know, uh, in the environments that work and you represent corporate clients as well. It's such, uh, can be such a complex environment from a legal perspective and dealing with people that interact with the law so intimately. It's a very challenging, very rewarding environment, you know, and like you said, there's been, you resolve problems uh, and, and that's your passion. And every day you walk into the office, you've got something else on your table uh, that's not like the, the, the day before, day before. Mm -hmm. uh, a new complex legal issue, a new complex people issue. And how do you bring those two together? And for me, that's where the passion lies for me. Whether it's corporate attorney, being in the corporate environment or being strictly in a, in a purely legal environment. For me, the corporate world just brings those two together and, and meets the passion that I have. Excellent, Bernard. That's such a good answer. Being an M&A lawyer myself, the reason why I really like employment law is because of the opportunity to assist in making sure that when a company is going through a transition, the employees are looked after. It's not always the case that you should uh, get rid of employees. They are a core part of a business and in fact, the major part of a business in an M&A transaction. And that's actually how I got into it. So let's get into the subject matter of today's um, podcast, and it's really about employees and remote working and how that has affected the employment landscape as a result of the COVID pandemic. So remote working is the ability for an employee to deliver their work products from anywhere outside of the employer's premises. So working from home, working in, an, in a you know communal environment, working in the field. Those are all remote working um, environments. Vinod, where did this uh, idea originate from? Do you know? So, so I think remote working as, as a concept was something that was being debated by employers long before COVID-19 even affected us. And a lot of the topics around remote working was around you know, accommodating and, and creating a work-life balance. And that was the early conversations around remote working. I think the reason why it didn't take off 
uh, and be accepted uh, so broadly as we saw in, in 2020 was because we didn't have the technology back then to fully encompass the entire employment relationship, what we saw happen in 2020. As we approached 2020, the big buzzword was the fourth industrial revolution. And technology then yeah. started coming to the forefront of how the work environment was going to change and how it was changing. Automation was taking the forefront uh, in a very big way. Technology yeah. started making leaps and bounds. Uh, yeah. I mean, Zoom and Teams was something that we probably only heard about in, in a very wide and broad sense in early 2020. Uh, yeah. Before that, it, it was a function. There, there was video conferencing was something that was available, but not widely used as well. And I think the two forces of thought industrial revolution and, and what that was asking of us, the changes that it was uh, proposing and COVID-19 and the lockdown measures that came into place just created that perfect storm for remote working to take up that reality that we see it as it is today. It's so, a, yeah. so, you know, the way I, I look at remote working currently is that it is something that has been enabled by technology. And when we look at COVID-19, was it an enabler or was it just one of those factors that drove us to say, it is time that we make that shift. And, and that's how we, we land with the concept of, of remote working where okay. we are right now yeah. and why we're debating it. Desmond, I wanted to ask, why does remote working present uh, challenges for employers? Um, what have you seen in your practice in terms of this kind of the questions that employers are asking? Yeah, so I think, um, I think the first major challenge is on uh, productivity. I mean, we we were used to a dispensation where you you know to measure productivity you 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 have your employees coming into the office so uh, based on whoever has reported to work you know that's whom you, you regard as, as as performing you know yeah. you know at work but now with the concept of remote working um, you know you do not have that same uh, benefit of of seeing them uh, while at work I know in some, in some countries, like in the U.S., um, there are technology companies that have even uh, come up with software, you know, that that can help with monitoring uh, employees while they work at home. Um, of course, there are privacy issues uh, with that, but it's a question of now employers sort of just changing their mindsets. There are alternative ways of of measuring productivity, so. It's it's a shift, you know, to a to a new dispensation. So those are one of the challenges. I think the other challenge is is really in terms of infrastructure. Although yes, we have made. Um, I think there were some significant investments, you know, in terms of uh, internet connectivity. Like for example, in Kenya, if you look at uh, the the Kibaki regime between 2002 to 2010, a lot of investment was made in um, ensuring that we have good um, internet connectivity. Yeah. But what the responsibility now for employers is just making sure that they have, you know, uh, made appropriate investment in appropriate communication tools or uh, ERP uh, tools that would, would allow for remote access and 
uh, would just help the employees still collaborate even while yeah. while working remotely. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not the perception is that Africa is behind technology wise and that remote working presents its own challenges to the African continent. As the African bank, uh, you're everywhere in Africa. Is that a perception issue or is it is it a real issue for you? For me, it's the perception issue. Like I said, you know, we are in 20 markets across the continent and, and I've had the privilege of, you know, visiting each one of these, these countries that we operate in. And from a technological point of view, I did not find that any of the countries we operate in on the African com- continent is any way to be said uh, as lagging behind the rest of the world. We have the technology. Uh, we are accustomed to the technology. I think there is to be said that uh, from an infra- infrastructural point of view, in certain of the markets, yes, there's, there's a lot to be done to build that infrastructure. But to say that we are technologically behind on the continent, absolutely not. If you look at the whole development of fintechs and the adoption of fintechs, I think Africa stands out as one of those continents that has adopted fintech so, so seamlessly and so yeah. fast, mm-hmm. um, places us up, you know, with the rest of the world. Um, yeah. In fact, the world takes examples in, and, and exploring our markets as to how we adopted, you know, that financial uh, digitization so seamlessly and so quickly. Yes, I completely understood on that and agreed, especially with the MPESA transactions, etc. Yeah. We've led the Kenya has led in that respect. In terms of you know putting in place the remote working policies. So, for example, we've seen employers saying, since you're not coming into work and you're working from home, we're not going to be you know meeting the cost of your Wi-Fi or your lunches or your catering or your other costs. How has Standard Bank been able to manage that discussion? with its employees to make sure that they're comfortable because at the end of the day, they're your bread and butter, isn't it? Absolutely. I think for us at Standard Bank, people is the center of our business, the center of everything that the bank does. So for us to cater to the needs of the people, our clients, we have to make sure that our employees are fully equipped to deliver the services that they need to deliver to our clients. Without that, the bank will definitely not exist. The bank will never be profitable and will never meet the objectives and the goals that it wants to. Uh, so one of the things that are very important to consider when you know providing Wi-Fi and not providing Wi-Fi or what tools that we need to provide it, there's two aspects that needs to be understood. It's not a simple case of yes, I will or no, I won't, uh, or you buy your own okay. Wi-Fi. Uh, we were thrown into a sudden emergency by COVID-19. Up until that point, a business runs on what its expense structure is, how it dispenses those expenses and so forth. So you can imagine that if you have not budgeted for things like that, it's not going to be readily available. What we look at is what is critical to business. Whatever is critical to business, whatever is critical to providing for the client and those employees that are at the forefront of that, the bank readily will provide. Whatever was secondary to that, we would look at other alternatives that we could provide for the needs of the employee and providing those tools. So I think, you know, Standard Bank's approach to it wasn't a one-size-fits-all kind of approach that, yes, yes, everybody will get Wi-Fi from tomorrow. There was a very strict assessment on where the business is going and what was required from business in every aspect. 
And that's how we maneuvered into each one of those areas as to what, whether we're providing the Wi-Fi or not providing Wi-Fi. We also have to take into consideration the other aspects that and expenses that needed to be considered as well. There were employees that required special tools, the chairs, monitors, yes. and so forth. All of that needs to be factored in. So I think, you know, to your listeners out there, it's not a case of because Standard Bank did X, Y, and Z, everyone needs to follow that example. Yeah. Businesses are of different sizes. Different businesses are of different and on different journeys. Uh, and, and things are catered for and prioritized as the business requires it. And this is where COVID-19 tricked us. We were not ready for it at the time that it landed, right? So if an employer at a particular point felt, I cannot provide Wi-Fi at this point, that should be understood within the context of where that business stood in the crisis that it was. Yeah. So, you know, businesses out there need to look at what its needs are at that particular point in time so that it can provide the most appropriate tools to its employees to sustain that business during that certain crisis. Having said that, you would notice that the debate on remote working is still ongoing. There is no statement out there to say this is the acceptable way that the future way of working is going to take place. Uh, you would find in many of the global leaders and especially in the financial world that I've been following, I think Goldman Sachs was one of them that said recently, this doesn't work. We want our employees back in the office as soon as possible. Uh, and that, that has been you know, echoed by, by many business leaders across the world. If you look at uh, surveys done with employees working remotely, there's been that sentiment as well where employees say, we'd like to be back in the office as soon as possible with regards to that. So, you know, whether you provide the tools now or later, my sentiment is that we are still developing and understanding remote working whether it's going to be a permanent fixture or not, it's here. Whether it's going to be a permanent fixture, that question is still, still it's, out It's there. still up for debate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and I think yeah. at that point where it becomes something that is fully adopted, then businesses will be in the position to say, okay, remote working, these are the tools my employees will require, and therefore I need to make that readily available to, employees, mm. to my employees. Without, yeah. without yeah. Is, it, is it easier to have remote working than to have a return to work policy? Because, you know, as you know, you know, a lot of return to work policies will insist on social distancing, having uh, plain glass windows between every employee, ensuring that everyone is vaccinated or wearing a mask in the office. All of those things are pretty difficult to enforce and can lead to a lot of, um, you know, liability for employers. So is it easier just to use a, use the remote working continuously until we have a definitive, you know, everyone is vaccinated policy or something like that, Desmond? Yeah, I think it will be a hybrid situation. So for, um, for the foreseeable future, I think many employers uh, are still going to allow um, or take advantage of the remote, remote working um, possibility. Um, because until you know depending on the jurisdiction you're in until people are adequately uh, you know enough numbers are, adequ- are vaccinated um, so as to like fully open up 
um, employers still have to be cautious and it calls for a pragmatic approach because if um, if you are required to maintain social distancing within your office premises then you have to look at the numbers within your within your office and see how many can realistically be um, in the office at, at any given point in time uh, without compromising uh, their health um, so yes a pragmatic um, approach as well also as a uh, legal, uh, you know, you want to limit your to your risk, you know, from from being sued for you not know, providing a, a, a safe uh, environment. Yeah. yeah, correct, correct. You know, according to statistics, employees are working longer hours in the remote remote working environment. You know, there's no measure for productivity, as Desmond has t- has told us already, and um, you're required to work 24/7. For standard bank employees, I'm sure they're working across many jurisdictions, and a lot of employers are facing the same type of thing. With you know, time zones meaning nothing really. How is it? that you can protect yourself from any liability on that front, Vinod. And for Desmond, how, how can we make sure that employers are also looking after the welfare of employees at the same time? Vinod first. Yeah, from a Standard Bank point of view, I think very early in the pandemic and very early in the remote working environment, the Standard Bank identified that we need to make sure that our people are taken care of. So there was a very deliberate and focused attention on employees, how they were working, uh, the hours they were working, what kind of needs they had at that particular point in time. And it was during that time that we employees came up and were saying to us, uh, you know, the, the hours we are working now are, are far longer than than what we than what we experienced uh, prior to the lockdown measures and prior to COVID-19. What we did was then focus our wellness programs to assist employees to understanding and equipping them to make those decisions where, you know, where does work start and end and where does my home life and, and, and my personal life start and end. And I think that went a long way to employees balancing those two. Having said that, it's still not an easy environment to work in, in the remote working home for a work from home environment. It's very easy for employees to just slip past that uh, line of where work stops and, and, and where, you know, my life actually starts, uh, my personal life. So it's an ongoing, it, there's no silver bullet and there's no easy answer to that. It's an ongoing uh, awareness. It's an ongoing uh, monitoring and getting our employees to understand that there are certain priorities, yes, that the business requires. But at the same time, we do recognize that there are certain responsibilities that you have as a person, as a human being, that we will respect. The time zones, as far as possible, we would not want to interrupt any uh, business uh, critical issues. And that was the message to our employees, is that business critical issues will be dealt with uh, as soon as possible. However, where that is not possible, we would try and defer those issues. So working in the time zones on the African continent was was easy. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the time difference between South Africa and many of our, our countries on, on the continent will differ from one to two hours. You would know also that, you know, we have a partnership in China, which we would have a big time difference with. But we'll be able to manage that by 
setting the priorities that were required for the business to continue during that time yeah. without placing any any undue pressure on our employees yeah Desmond we, we want to know what the best practice is what should we be advising employers to do in this kind of scenario um, I think um, employers should be aware that um, you know they still also have a legal obligation to create a conducive work environment um, you know so the fact that most of the work is being undertaken in the virtual workspace doesn't mean that that obligation has ended so it requires employers you know and um, especially team leaders let me, let me put it that way team leaders now have to uh, develop the uh, certain leadership skills um you know so as to ensure the welfare of the employees is maintained so so for instance you know because of of working remotely you know we lack that personal touch whereas you know when you were in in the same office premises it was easy to to know that Jerry is not in a good mood today or you know uh, <laughs> can I ask her what what's going on? You know, you cannot discern that in an email. You know, it's not easy to yeah. discern that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, team leaders now really need to develop um, their emotional intelligence, and and that would require you know active, active listening yeah. skills. You know, just to be able to pick up cues of any emotional distress. You know, um, use a variety of uh, communication tools. And, and actually even increase the communication uh, i mean the frequency has i mean there's not too much communication just yeah. touching base with your team members finding out how they are doing you know even if they have any challenges from a personal level yeah uh, from a work a work perspective is 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 really key um, uh, at, at this time yeah okay and in I terms of just, oh, go ahead just to comment on the last one that Desmond made, that comes to mind. It's so amazing that during this time, in a world that is so connected, that so many employees and so many people felt disconnected uh, yeah. in this last year. And, and that human touch is so, so important that we need to get in touch with our employees and be more focused on the person rather than, you know, that this is an employee that they need to produce. and. I think that they need to be more focused on exactly what Desmond says. How do we get in touch and reach out and connect in a way with, the, with our employees that is more human um, in this environment? Yeah. And in terms of policies and making sure that your procedures are in place, it is also important just to make sure that you have set out in the policy something that is clear for employees to understand. They know their obligations. You also know yours as an employer and that those policies are stuck to. And if they're amended, then obviously um, communicating with the employees is going to be important in that respect. Isn't it, Vinod? Yes, absolutely. Just to comment on that aspect, one of the aspects that we looked at is whether we wanted to employ a policy or did we want something more flexible, like a framework. And mm -hmm. we found that a policy would have been too rigid in the current environment, say that we need a remote, from, uh, a remote working policy. Uh, because once you bind yourself to a policy, that becomes... Um, and, and Desmond, correct me if I'm wrong, by way of practice and with time, becomes a term and condition of employment. It creates an expectation. Correct. Like I said at the start of it is that the whole remote working and working from home debate is something that is still open. We're still experiencing new things about remote working 
every way that we utilize it. And I don't think that it would be advisable for any employer to, you know, box himself into a policy. The adoption that Standard Bank has taken was rather to create a framework of good practice uh, and guidance on the circumstances that we would employ and utilize remote working. In that way, you do not create that expectation that I'm entitled to work from home. I'm entitled to remote working. Because from a business uh, and employment law perspective, that just creates a whole lot of complexity for an employer, uh, especially in, in an environment that is so uncertain. Yeah. So being the litigators that you are, you are the perfect people for me to test out this the new case law that is coming up in um, our jurisdictions on uh, remote working and also health and safety at work. Because really you have two issues. One is um, remote working and productivity, as Jasmine had, has identified. And the other is the health and safety aspect of working within the office. So I've drafted a scenario and I want us to debate for the next five minutes on how, how we would go about this. So let me read it to the audience. Employee X works in Ghana and employee Y works in Uganda for the same employer and in the same role. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, X has been allowed to work from home part-time. Employee Y has, however, not been allowed to work from home. At her appraisal, end of year appraisal, employee X is confronted with a low score and the employer claims she has not been productive according to web surveillance data the employer has been collecting. Employee Y is confronted with a low score as a result of the amount of sick days she has claimed over the year. Both make claims for unfair dismissal and constructive dismissal. First, are there any merits to the claims? And second, what could the employer have done differently in this scenario? So, well, let's start off with uh, Desmond, the head of litigation, CDH Kenya. <laughs> yes. 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 So, I think the the claims for constructive dismissal are valid. Um, if you look at the employee on uh, who's who's employed on a part-time basis, and and the employer says that you know they have not. Uh, been as productive as they ought to have been because of the software that uh, you know they have installed and they have been monitoring um, you know their work uh, work output. The first question there, you know, their privacy issues. Did, did the employee consent um, to that? And even if the you know uh, em- employee consented to it, you know, was it conducive for for the employee? Did the employee feel? You know, like they were being, you know, watched uh, too keenly, too closely. Um, so that's a first concern. Um, and then, obviously, for you know the fact that uh, they are working part time, what were the deliverables? Uh, were expectations were they clearly set out at the very beginning when when they proceeded to to work uh, on a part time basis? Because one of the things that uh, the employer will have to show is that the employee was aware of the expectations having shifted on to a part-time basis. On the other aspect, maybe I leave for Vinod. Uh, yeah. let me let me just play the devil's advocate here, Desmond, and say yeah. that with the productivity, how difficult is it to measure productivity using web surveillance when you're working from home and can stand up at any time, take breaks, go outside, work on the phone? Is it, it, the employer would have had to really be there all the time in order to know whether the employee was being productive? Correct. Yes, correct. They would have to have been there, you know, throughout, yeah, uh, to be able to ascertain that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Vinod, take us through the employee why then. They've been sick. They're saying that they've, they've not been looked after health and safety-wise in the office and therefore have been off on sick days. Um, Is this treatment constructive dismissal? Yeah, so employee why? Um, in every market that we, we are taking and, and across the world, uh, an employee is entitled to sick leave uh, and entitled to that time off to recuperate. What you must understand about sick leave is that sick leave is an indication that an employee is incapacitated from uh, performing the duties that uh, they are contracted to do. So the employer would have to prove that the employee was not incapacitated to provide the service and to perform at the level they wanted to. And I think that would be a big hurdle for an employer to cross. If the employer can cross that hurdle, then uh, employee-wise dismissal, constructive dismissal claim may fall by the wayside. The other aspect is that the environment in which employee-Y had to be working during this course, if we're going to take the circumstances we find ourselves in in COVID-19, how much of uh, this was the employee exposed to in the COVID environment? Did they contract COVID during this time? that they had to take uh, sick leave. It's a question that needs to be to be asked as well. Uh, what kind of environment was the employee working in? Did the employer provide every kind of protection for the employee while the yes. employee was in the workplace? So yes. if the mm-hmm. employer can say, yes, I have, then employee's wife claim will not have any merit in it and an employer will be successful in defending it. If the answer to that is no, an employee-wide claim will, will probably stand in the test in a court of law. And at a heavy cost to the employer. So the, the, at, at a, at heavy cost, yes. so the lesson is that um, we need to be aware of remote working, be aware of employees as well, take into consideration their own personal circumstances, not be overly prescriptive and be flexible to the environment yes. in which we live. And also, just as a final point, I wanted to ask Desmond how um, the Africa Free Continental Trade Agreement is going to affect us because it is going to enable free movement of people and therefore working from anywhere in the world. Um, Will that change the landscape even more? Yes, it would, because I think for employees and for employers, you know, they now have to see how to to restructure their services uh, because with the free movement of labor, it, it means that an individual, for example, an IT professional sitting here in Kenya can be able to offer his services to um, to Standard Bank, for example, in, in, in DRC Congo. And so that means then that there are opportunities that are available for those who are flexible enough to, you know, to move away from a permanent employment status to an independent contractor uh, status, for instance. And so, you know, that is, you know, where we are moving towards. Um, and there is a lot of opportunities um, for, uh, I mean, for, for, for services and intra-service trade, if I, if I could put it that way. Because you find that different countries have comparative advantage in, in different areas. So in Kenya... Yes, we, different strengths. Yeah, and different strengths, absolutely. So in Kenya, for example, we have a strength in financial services and telecommunications. So the level of skill that has been developed in Kenya is something that could be used in a, in a different uh, 
jurisdiction. And especially if you look at AFCTA, there, there are five key priority areas. Um, financial services is, is, is one of them, um, which, you know, uh, so that is something to, to, to look forward to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my, the only thing I have left to say is thank you very much, Linod and Desmond, for engaging us in this important discussion on remote working and its challenges. I think we can see that it is here to stay and it will be an ever changing and evolution that we will see in remote working. Thank you for your time. Thank you for my audience for listening to our podcast this, this month. See you next in July. 